This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Is your daily grind getting you down? A Thermospa's hot tub may be the solution. Just a few minutes under those powerful, soothing jets, and all your stress seems to melt away, like you're lying on a cloud of bubbles. You'll not only feel better, but sleep better, too. Call 877-861-4672 now. And for a limited time, save $1,250. Call 877-861-4672 or visit thermospas.com to schedule a free on-site assessment. This podcast may discuss topics graphic in nature and possibly triggering to survivors. We value the safety and well-being of all of our listeners. So please practice personal discretion. Now, enjoy the show. Hey, I'm Paige. And I'm Natalie. We're the hosts of the Murder Diaries podcast. We bonded over tacos and true crime after we matched on Bumble BFF. You know, like any normal millennial using an app to meet new friends. Every Thursday, we upload a new episode. In each episode of the Murder Diaries, we tell true crime one story at a time. One week, it's my turn. And the next week, it's mine. You still think it's in my head. I'm walking with the dead. June is Pride Month, and to celebrate, we've designed an exclusive Pride merch collection. We're so excited about this specific collection because every single thing, from the artwork down to the color of the t-shirts, were chosen by us. The collection's available throughout the entire month of June, but that's it. Like I said, it's an exclusive collection. So be sure to go to the murderdiariespodcast.com. That's the murderdiariespodcast.com to shop now while supplies last. And don't forget, be sure to tag us on social media with the photos you take of your merch. In 2013, 18-year-old Zoe Campos went missing in the dead of night from her Texas home. She, her sister, and their friend all went to sleep while watching a movie. But in the morning, Zoe wasn't there. Her car, missing. The family and law enforcement were perplexed as to when she would have left and where she would have gone. This is her story. Zoe Gabrielle Campos was born September 4th, 1995 to her mom, Melinda, and her dad, Alejandro, a.k.a. Alex. At the time of her case, she was living in Lubbock, Texas with her family. Her father was in the Marines, so he was gone a lot and even faced a military deployment in her childhood. So it was often Zoe, her mom, Melinda, and her sister, Savannah, at home. Unfortunately, when Zoe was 10, her parents parted ways. Her mom said in her interview that Zoe took the split hard and was, quote, the most hurt. That didn't stop Zoe from dreaming, though, and aiming toward what she wanted out of life. She left high school early to work on getting her GED and start practicing and gaining experience to become a mechanic. Being a mechanic is actually a bit of a family trade on her dad's side, and he taught her a lot about what she knew when it came to working on cars. Part of Zoe's experience working on cars actually came from practicing on her own. It was an old Lincoln Town car that she had purchased all on her own accord to work on. 
Zoe's mom recalls this car with a big smile on her face during her interview because she remembers that it was so big in comparison to five foot nothing, 100 pound Zoe. As she's speaking through her smile, her mom says, quote, five foot nothing and, you know, bitty. And she has this big old long car. Regardless of this size difference, Zoe was rightfully really proud of her car. Zoe was also really proud of her family. She was extremely family-oriented. At one point, she moved in with her sister, Savannah, to help her with her niece and nephew, Savannah's children. According to Savannah, Zoe loved spending time with her niece and nephew and just being around her family. Zoe's aunt says in an interview, quote, she wasn't your typical teenager that wanted to be out and doing her own thing. It was just always family with her, end quote. Zoe also enjoyed spending time outdoors, even if it was by herself. In fact, she fished quite a bit at a small lake that wasn't too far from her grandmother's house. Melinda remembers with another smile on her face during her interview that it wasn't strange for her to come home from work and that Zoe would be showing her some kind of stray animal that she had found and brought home. Kittens, turtles, puppies, you name it. In reference to all the different types of animals that Zoe brought home, Melinda says, quote, she just had everything. What a beautiful soul with a unique perspective and life experience. I especially love hearing about an 18-year-old in today's world wanting to fix cars with the intention of becoming a mechanic, going fishing, just enjoying nature as a whole. She really sounds like she had a firm grasp on life and knew what she wanted to get out of it. I would have loved to have met her. Me too. Zoe's Find a Grave page describes her in even more detail. The page says, quote, Zoe was beautiful, selfless, funny, clumsy, very loving, protective, and had the sweetest and warmest personality one could ever imagine. These were only a few of the qualities that made Zoe such an absolute pleasure, joy, and honor to be around, end quote. That takes us in to Sunday, November 17th, 2013. During the day, Zoe was busy spending time with her family. By 10 a.m., they were already up and at it. Zoe, her sister Savannah, Savannah's kids, who were four and three at the time, all went over to their mom Melinda's house to spend the day before Melinda had to be at work at three. Here's another one of those very Zoe family-oriented moments. Savannah and Zoe had actually purchased some water guns for the kids, and they were going to let them play around at Melinda's with them on this warmer fall day. That evening, Zoe went to her friend April's house. April had just had a baby and had just brought the baby home from the hospital. After visiting with April, Zoe returned home to the apartment she shared with her sister. Also there was her friend Jessica. They got ready, they got the kids ready, and then they headed out to dinner. After dinner, Jessica, the kids, Savannah, Zoe, they all returned back to the apartment again, and we're just going to be in for the night watching movies and settling the kids in for bed. The kids were put to bed around 11.30. Zoe and Jessica were actually already dozing on the couch as well. By all accounts, Savannah thought that that was it for the night. The night was called. Everyone's going to bed. That's not what happened, though. Around 2.20 a.m., Melinda got a text from Zoe asking if she needed a ride home from her bartending shift. Melinda says, yes, this was actually a really welcomed gesture because her car was in the shop, so she could definitely use Zoe's help here. 
it's also another example of Zoe being selfless and protective of her loved ones. Clearly, the obituary was not wrong in that sense. You're absolutely right. This is where Zoe's case starts to kick into gear. After 10 minutes, Melinda starts to worry because Zoe hasn't shown up. Melinda says, quote, anywhere in Lubbock takes eight to 10 minutes tops, end quote, in reference to how long it takes to get to where Melinda had been working. Melinda tries to call Zoe and it just rang and rang and rang and ended up at our voicemail. She called it again right back and then it went straight to voicemail this time. Melinda hoped that maybe she just had ended up falling asleep and Melinda ends up going to her friend's house to spend the night. Now, this friend lived right behind the bar where she bartended and it was not uncommon for her to stay there when she got off in the early morning hours like this. The next morning, Monday, November 18th, Savannah had to be at work at 8 a.m. She went to wake up Zoe to let her know that she was leaving because she was going to be watching the kids, but she couldn't find her. Remember, Savannah went to bed around 11.30 and Zoe was basically dozing on the couch with Jessica. So to her, this is very odd. Where did Zoe go? She immediately looks out the window to check for Zoe's car and that was gone too. Savannah then calls Melinda around 7.45 a.m. to see if maybe Zoe was with her. As we already know, Zoe never showed to pick her up in those early morning hours. So no, Zoe was not with her. The two fill each other in, on the previous night's details. Savannah tells her that she was there when she went to bed, and Melinda tells her she texted me to see if I wanted to be picked up, and she never showed. Once they realize that they both didn't know where Zoe was, they try calling her, and it went straight to voicemail. Savannah mentions in her interview for Investigation Discoveries Disappeared that Zoe always had her phone charger on her, so it just didn't make sense that she would have allowed her phone to die or for it to be off, as going straight to voicemail would have indicated. Savannah then starts calling cousins, an ex-boyfriend. No one has seen her. Melinda and Savannah also start calling jails and hospitals to no avail. Later that evening, around 5 or 6 p.m., Savannah and Melinda are together at Savannah's apartment and they call the police. What police decide to do is issue an all-points bulletin for Zoe's car. They don't yet make a missing persons report. The next day, Tuesday, November 19th, Savannah and her mom make phone calls to the same people they had called before to see if there was any movement, if anyone had heard from her or seen her. I should mention that during this time, as all of this is going on, Zoe's dad, Alejandro, was deployed in Afghanistan. He was finally able to make contact with Savannah on that same day, Tuesday the 19th. She was able to fill him in on what's going on, that his daughter was missing. As another evening rolls in with the Zoe still missing, Melinda called the police again, and that's when the missing persons report was officially created. The officer that took that report asked the cell phone company to ping Zoe's phone. The cell phone company came back and said that they couldn't get any location data on it, which meant that it was either dead or physically turned off. The next day, Wednesday, November 20th, Zoe's extended family gathered to help in the search for Zoe. After searching that day, Zoe's aunt Monica, Melinda's sister, was driving home that evening and she spotted a car that looked at awful lot like Zoe's. She followed the car to get a better look and noticed some identifiable damage or marks on the front fender. And she calls Melinda about it. Melinda confirms that 
Yes, this matches the damage that is on Zoe's front fender and that it must be her car. Monica pulls up next to the car and she could tell it was not Zoe driving. She mentions that Zoe was petite and that this person was, quote, huskier in the shoulders and you could tell this was a male. You can't see his face. You could just see the hoodie. Monica continues following the car, hoping that maybe Zoe was in the car too and that she just couldn't see her. In the meantime, Monica calls her son, Zoe's cousin. She asks him to get in his car and start driving towards her to meet up with her on the road. That way he could help her follow the car. While waiting for her son to catch up to her, the car turned down a road and Monica decides it's safest to let them pass. When her son catches up to her, she directs him down that road that the car had turned. Zoe's cousin heads down the road that his mom directed him to. And wouldn't you know, he found Zoe's Lincoln abandoned in a parking lot of an apartment complex. He then calls 911. Monica and her son, of course, notify Melinda as well. And Melinda races to the scene. Melinda describes wanting to open up the trunk so badly, but Monica reminds her not to touch anything while they were waiting for help. In a heart-wrenching piece of her interview for Disappeared, Melinda talks about how she paced around the car, calling to Zoe. She was calling in case Zoe was hidden in there somewhere. Quote, I'm here, baby. I'm going to get you. End quote. As they waited for police to arrive, they decided to knock on doors and see if anyone had ever seen Zoe's car in the parking lot before, as it was that night. And that makes sense. This is a high-density, high-traffic area, so it's great that they were able to use their resources. I think it was a great idea. Unfortunately, no one had seen it before, though. Police arrived finally an hour after the call was made for them to come assist at the Driftwood Apartments, which, of course, is the complex where they had found Zoe's car. Melinda recalls feeling angry at the cops because it took so long for them to get there. She said that, quote, one cop didn't want to talk to me because I was being so emotional and aggressive, end quote. The Lubbock police say that the information that had been provided to them about the 911 call made it seem that the situation didn't demand immediate attention. Detective Freeman, who worked the case, said that, quote, because the car was abandoned and there was nobody inside the vehicle, there was no high priority to get officers to the scene right away, end quote. Meanwhile, though, while they waited, Melinda was worried that Zoe was in the trunk or hidden somewhere in the car and that she was, quote, finally going to find my baby, end quote. When officers got there, of course, they popped the trunk and Zoe was not in there, but they did find her black jacket and a roll of duct tape. Officers note this duct tape right away, but her family says, look, we think that that's her duct tape, actually. Remember, Zoe liked to work on cars and in between repairs being completed, oftentimes Zoe would use duct tape. In the back seat of her car, they found Zoe's phone charger and a men's gray sweatshirt. The car was also dusted for prints. Unfortunately, there weren't any prints grabbed, quote, that could have been used to help identify anybody in the case, end quote, according to Detective Freeman. With these new developments that they had found, Zoe's case took on what the disappeared episode refers to as, quote, a new urgency. According yet again to Detective Freeman, quote, it rapidly evolved into everyone's looking for Zoe. Zoe's dad even got emergency leave from duty in Afghanistan to come and help with the search. Melinda hit the news circuit and missing persons flyers were posted everywhere that they could put one, especially around the apartment complex that her car was found in. 
Investigators are still left with the question, though. How did Zoe go from sleeping on the couch to disappeared, missing? To get a better picture of what was going on that night, they decide to trace Zoe's last whereabouts. With that, they got a statement from April, the friend that she'd gone to visit that evening to meet the new baby. April says that she and Zoe hung out and that Zoe left around 9 p.m. There was a guy there that night at April's too, and he said the same thing. In fact, he said he left the same night as Zoe. Neither April nor the guy knew where Zoe was headed. Police knew, and we know, that Zoe met up with her sister and Jessica that night for a late dinner before heading home to watch those movies. This made Jessica the last person to have for sure seen Zoe that night at 11.30 p.m. as Savannah left the room to put the kids to bed and to go to bed herself. With that in mind, law enforcement turns back to Zoe's car. They process it again. This time, they sent it to the CSI crime lab. The crime lab processed and swabbed the car for DNA. It also examined the car with a polylight. A polylight is a type of light that will illuminate bodily fluids like blood. They used the polylight over the outside and the interior of the car. They didn't find any indication of fluids, but they did find partial DNA. The DNA did not make a hit in the criminal database, but at least they had it. Law enforcement also investigated Zoe's social media. She was actually very active on Facebook. Detective Freeman says that what he calls her Facebook return showed 2,973 pages of information. This, quote, return is basically a report of Zoe's basic information that she has on her profile, her friends, and her posts. They also got access to Zoe's phone records. With those records, they were able to see where her last text message, which happened to be the text to her mom, pinged from. Remember, they couldn't ping the physical phone in the beginning because it was off. However, they at last could get some info from the last time it was pinging with activity. A lot of us in the true crime community know that pings aren't exact. For Zoe, that further meant that she was within a mile radius of an area in Lubbock near what's called Lowry Field, which is a football field in the area. It's situated near South Loop 289 and Avenue S. According to the episode of Disappeared, this is not really a part of town that's known to be super safe or that Zoe frequented, especially after 2 a.m., which, remember, that's when she last sent that text to her mom that was pinging her in that area. The question now for investigators was, what was she doing there that early morning? Detective Freeman explains that searching even an area this small, a mile radius, requires a lot of police resources. Thankfully, Zoe's family and those helping in the search, known by this time as, quote, Team Zoe, kicked into gear, and Melinda says they, quote, hit the area hard, end quote, in their search and canvassing efforts. Meanwhile, law enforcement continued trying to gain other leads from Zoe's phone records. One call stood out. The call was made around 1, 1.30 a.m., and it was made to Zoe's mom, Melinda's friend, who we'll call Greg. It was a 30-minute phone call. Investigators found this of interest because Greg was closer to Zoe's father's age. On top of that, Melinda and he had been trying to work out a romantic relationship prior, but it ended up being that they were just better as friends. Greg tells law enforcement that he doesn't remember a phone call from Zoe. He said that he had a couple of beers and went to sleep that night. Police weren't totally buying this, so they had Greg do a polygraph test. And guess what? he failed one of the most important questions. Do you know where Zoe is? 
Melinda confronted him about this, and he said that he failed because he was nervous and that he couldn't smoke during the many hours that he was there for the test. But with that failure, they had a person of interest. That's just what he was, though, a person of interest. Detectives kept on Zoe's social media to try and find new leads, and that's when they found a message thread with Carlos Rodriguez. The thread showed that Zoe and Carlos had been talking about hanging out the night that she had disappeared. Sometime between 11 p.m. and 12 a.m. that night, Carlos messaged Zoe to come over to his house and smoke with him. Melinda did actually know that Zoe smoked weed here and there, and she said she didn't like it, she didn't approve of it, but she was glad that Zoe was open with her about it. Honestly, it wasn't the weed that alarmed police anyways. What did alarm police is that they had already spoken to Carlos because he was the guy that I mentioned earlier that was at April's house that night too. When they had first questioned him, he had only admitted that he met Zoe for the first time at April's that night, but that was it. With the new information from this message thread between Carlos and Zoe, police brought Carlos back in. This time, Carlos admitted to lying about never seeing Zoe again that night. And he put this in a new statement. Carlos claims that he didn't say it the first time around because he was scared he'd get in trouble for the weed. Detectives weren't totally sold, though. To them, weed is such a small thing in comparison to Zoe being missing and possibly in danger or murdered. It really just seemed like it was an excuse. Plus, his house was in the area where Zoe's cell phone last pinged. Carlos goes on to give them the very important second half of his story. After meeting Zoe for the first time ever at April's house that night, he looked her up and found her on Facebook. Then the two started messaging. That's where he invited her to come over and smoke. Zoe went over there. The two talked for a few minutes and they realized that neither of them had any weed on them. Zoe says, hang tight, I'll go pick up some weed real quick and come back. Carlos says she never returned though. Police see this somewhat reflected in the messages that at 4 and at 6 a.m., he messaged her sort of asking, hey, I thought you were coming back, what happened kind of thing, and he got no response. This was enough for investigators to dive deeper into Carlos's Facebook, and when they did, what they found wasn't really pretty. His Facebook showed him frequently propositioning women to hang out, and he seemed to be looking for sexual relationships with them. This was just a bit of a red flag to investigators. In a 2016 interview for Disappeared, yet again, Detective Freeman says, quote, My personal opinion is this young man that was the last one to see Zoe is the only one responsible and completely involved in her disappearance. Remember, Disappeared covers unsolved cases. So this was Detective Freeman's personal opinion at the time. But guess what? He wasn't wrong. By November of 2017, Carlos was in jail for involvement in a different case, a stalking case. He had been sentenced to a year. According to a News Channel 10 article by Amber Stagel, in March of 2018, an informant from that Lubbock County Detention Center where Carlos was currently incarcerated said that they spoke with Carlos and he told them, quote, they've searched the land already. They're not gonna find the body until they move the concrete, end quote. The informant is basically telling them here that, Carlos was Zoe's murderer, and he buried her in his backyard. Later in July, the informant told police more information that investigators and only Zoe's murderer would know. And in this case, they were referring to that murderer as Carlos, which proved their credibility. 
A few months later, on November 6th, the informant was interviewed again to finalize and confirm details. Cadaver dogs were then taken back over to the house where Carlos had lived and that Zoe supposedly met him at. That's when they found Zoe's remains there in the backyard. After some communications within the jailhouse and to his mom, the murder warrant states, quote, Carlos Rodriguez did not deny that Zoe Campos was in the backyard. He, in fact, seemed certain of that fact that Zoe Campos had been located in the backyard of their previous residence, end quote. The date that they found Zoe's remains was November 16th, 2018. On the fifth anniversary of her death, November 17th, 2018, that murder warrant I just quoted was issued. Carlos asked to speak to a detective and he admitted everything. He also sent a letter out to media outlets and this letter is pretty long, so I'm not gonna read the whole thing, but I do have a couple of quotes. Quote, I confessed simply because I couldn't take this burden anymore. This burden was so heavy on me that before I confessed to detectives, I confessed my crime to a friend. On November 17th, 2013, while visiting an old friend named April, Zoe happened to show up. It was obvious to the both of us that we had an attraction for each other, so I messaged Zoe on Facebook, and we agreed to meet at my house. He goes on to explain that they smoked K2, which is synthetic marijuana. Quote, she kept saying things and I could hear her laughing, but my mind was somewhere else. When I turned to face her, her face looked different. She looked very weird in an evil way and I started to panic, but I couldn't move. I wanted to tell her, but I didn't want to sound weak or embarrassed. So I started to sweat a lot and I could feel my heart pounding so hard in my chest that I couldn't speak or swallow because of this huge knot in my throat. Zoe kept grinning and asking me if I was okay, but I was certain I was dying. That's when I started to get lightheaded and my vision started to black out. Then Zoe said, quote, you're f***ing tripping. Then when she opened her mouth to laugh, her face started to melt and that's when I struck her. She got up and I heard a demonic scream. I remember her running to the door and so I grabbed what appeared to be a demon from behind in a rear naked choke. I don't know how long I was choking her. When I let go, I started to come back. I started to realize what had happened, and my whole world started to crumble. Yes, I hid the body, and I had to live with this guilt and fear for five long years. But things ain't always what they appear to be. And with that being said, I would like to say that I'm not a murderer, because never in my right state of mind will I have committed such a horrific act, end quote. Despite the lack of responsibility that letter clearly does not take, it was Carlos that murdered Zoe that night. It was him that moved Zoe's car to the Driftwood Apartments. And yes, you got it. Zoe's aunt was very close to catching him that night. Carlos was indicted by a grand jury in January of 2019, and his sentence could be up to life in prison. I was unable to find any information on if Carlos has already been sentenced or when a sentencing hearing may happen. But as we often say in the Murder Diaries, you know what? It's not about the murderer. On November 18th, 2018, a post was made on the Missing Zoe Campos Facebook page. This is just a few days after her remains had been found. Quote, On the late evening of November 16th, we received the news that we never wanted to hear. LPD had found our Zoe and had a confession along with an arrest. Our lives are forever changed. Our Zoe is home, not the way we'd wished and hoped for, but she's home at last. A family is left broken and shattered after holding out hope that one day they would be able to hug their daughter. 
For five years, we have been waiting for answers through pleas, anger, tears, and hope. And through those five years, you have loved us, supported us, shared Zoe, and had every emotion we have had. We wanted to tell you thank you from the bottom of our hearts for everything. We still have a long road in front of us, and all of those emotions are still there, especially hope. Hope that this is all a nightmare. Hope that we will hold her again. Hope that this isn't how it ends. Hope that justice will be served. No parent should ever have to endure this. From all around the world, we received words of love and support. Zoe just wasn't our Zoe. She was all of ours, together. The prayers you prayed, we felt them. The tears that fell, we felt them. The anger that came joined ours, and now our broken hearts are joined in hopes of justice for our sweet girl. Words cannot express the amount of gratitude we have for you for every time you shared her story, her posts, or her missing persons flyer. A simple thank you seems so little for how we feel, but we thank you. We are now left with the pieces and not sure how to move forward. The grief is overwhelming. The anger is consuming. Our Zoe is gone, but she's home. We need your prayers more than ever at this moment. Even the grimmest of outcomes are blessings. Lord, help us to see and feel these blessings because our hearts are shattered at the moment. Our Zoe is home. End quote. And that's where we'll leave this episode. Until our next episode, you know where to find us at the Murder Diaries Pod on TikTok and Instagram at the Murder Diaries Podcast.com. And you can submit your requests for cases at the Murder Diaries Pod Request at gmail.com. And if you haven't already, go ahead and rate, review, and subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. It helps us keep the good content flowing. Your five stars mean everything. And until then, stay safe. Bye. Bye. Paige and I are starting a new segment and we need your help. We want to tell your stories. We want to hear from you. Think post-secret, think hometown crime cases true crime or true crime adjacent, paranormal, or even something you've never told anyone before. If you want to tell it, we want to hear it. It's completely anonymous, whether you sign your name or not. These are essentially diary entries. The segment's going to be called Dear Diary. And don't worry, it's not going to be taking place of your normal Thursday episodes. This is a whole new segment. For your submission to be considered, please email us at the Murder Diaries pod request at gmail.com. We can't wait to hear from you. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.